and welcome to Word Up, a series of podcasts hosted by Oxford University Press with Helen Prince and guests. In this podcast, we're talking about the early years and those earliest experiences that our children have. And I found a quote by Emma Goldman, who was a feminist writer and lecturer, that I felt really responded well to the narrative of what we discussed. She said, No one has yet realized the wealth of sympathy the kindness and generosity hidden in the soul of a child. The effort of every true education should be to unlock that treasure. And we also talk about treasure baskets. So I found a lovely Chinese proverb that personifies the idea of learning that I wanted to share as well. The Chinese proverb says, learning is a treasure that will follow its owner everywhere. Huge welcome this morning to a really exciting guest. Our guest this morning is Aaron Bradbury. And I've got a list as long as my arm that I could say to introduce him, but we're going to condense it because otherwise, as Aaron said a minute ago, we'll be here all morning just talking about what he's done. Aaron's the principal lecturer for early years and childhood at Nottingham Trent University. He's an author. He's a member of the Coalition for the Early Years on the Birth to Five Matters, researching early childhood workforce, the voice of the child, fascinating area, and pioneers of early childhood. He's the co-chair of the Early Years Academy. He's the radio host for Teacher Hug Radio for Early Years Childhood Chatter, currently researching about apprenticeship pedagogy and higher education, and the chair of the LGBTQ plus Early Years Working Group. Aaron, very big welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Helen. That's a lovely introduction. Thank you. <laughs> well, that was the condensed one. <laughs> it was. <laughs> so why early years, Aaron? Because we've all got a passion. We've all got a story to tell about why we find ourselves where we do. So why why early years? What was it about that that really grabbed you? For me, it all started when I started my level three qualification. I left school and I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. And somebody said to me, oh, you know, you'd be great as a primary school teacher. And I thought, oh, yeah. So I did my level three qualification and mm. became qualified nursery nurse. When you do that level three qualification, you do um, lots of experience from naught to eight. And I loved my school experience, but I never even thought about going and working with babies and that under five, mm. um, specifically within the PVI sector. So I kind of had a taste for it. Funny enough, everyone says to me, why early years? Well, actually, it was never early years to begin with, really. It was nursing. And I actually left my level three to go and do children's nursing. Um, Unfortunately, nursing was not for me. I'm scared of blood and I'm scared of anything to do with with (laughs) medicine. So I realised very quickly that nursing wasn't for me. And somebody said to me, actually, on the nursing course, have you ever thought about going and working with young children? Because they'd seen how I interacted with the young children and the parents um, and then it all really kind of started from there. I, I went and did an early childhood studies degree and it just it, it just connected. It just felt right. Mm. Learning about, you know, how children learn and the pedagogy and fundamentally play um, mm. was just for me where it all connected. And that's where it all started for me, really. And I've never looked back. Brilliant. I just I love that that whole concept of play is so vital. And actually, as a grown up, you know, to find yourself in a world where you're immersed in the importance of play, it's quite joyous, really. 
Yeah, I think I think sometimes we, you know, we we, we want our children to grow up very very quickly. I agree. And, Why do we you know, do that? Why do we do I that? I don't know. I don't know. I think. Um, you know, even as adults, we like to to, to play. You know, mm. I mean, only 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 yesterday I had my Lego out. You know, and I was it just it just brought back so many memories of when I was a child and the and the and the imagination that comes through when you've got that pile of Lego or those yeah. building bricks, and and for me, just being immersed mm. in that imagination with children just motivates you. You know, yeah. if you're a teacher or an early years professional, that's there in the moment with those children that 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 feeling that motivation that you get when children are playing it yeah it's it's infectious it really is yeah great great space to work in I was looking at your Twitter feed actually and I, I did see your Lego that you built yesterday yeah. <laughs> it looked great it looked very impressive um but I also noticed you've got a, a couple of threads on treasure baskets and that took me back I mean my my youngest just turned 12 last week so it's a little while ago now for us, but we used to go to treasure baskets and we loved it. It was such an exciting thing to do. Yeah, I mean, heuristic play is one of those that, you know, we really do support within early years. And and for babies, you know, that whole exploration of different mm. tactile, you know, sounds and, you know, those natural things that you would have probably got from your treasure basket. What's really exciting about treasure baskets is it can be a really kind of, an activity where attachment and development is being you know it's something that you can do together yeah um it, it you know not just in in nursery or school it can be something that parents can also do and and actually a lot of the things that are in treasure baskets can be found around the home obviously you've got to be careful because of choking hazards yeah, and all yeah, those type yeah. of things but but this is what's so exciting about those treasure baskets is that actually it also doesn't cost a lot of money to develop and like you've just said, it brought back all those memories about treasure baskets. Yeah, it really did. Special times, isn't it, really, yeah. that, that those that those things can Very do? Very precious. You know, you've got your little one on your lap and exploring together That's the it. crinkles and crunches. And actually, yeah. maybe they... And normally go in the mouth as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Exploring things in the mouth. Test taste it. sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and maybe that sort of naturally evolves into things like story sacks in the classroom where, you know, you've got that sort of discovery of a story through through tangible objects yeah well it's that whole exploration really and I think you know it, it comes from that what I find with treasure baskets when we did treasure baskets at the children's center for example mm. was that children realized very closely um, and, and very quickly that this was a safe activity to do you know they were doing it with mom they were doing it with caregivers mm. or, or their practitioner and that's very much the same kind of thing that happens when you're in the classroom you know with the children that that, that exploration it's a safe activity they want to know what's going on mm. and I think it develops into that really really develops into the communication language you know physical development and and yeah that, those story sacks to me are, are, are again I'm getting excited even thinking about the story sacks because <laughs> I've got a few behind me actually so um, they're brilliant yeah. and they work at they so are. many levels I used to do it with my A-level group you know because yeah you, you yeah. just become more and more creative and thinking about how you relate what happens in the narrative to something That's tangible right. that you could put in a in a story sack but of course we haven't been doing that you know in many cases across the UK and worldwide those those are the things we've lost what mm. what can we do to mitigate the you know the gaps and inevitable impact that that would have created 
I think there is this kind of narrative that that things have been lost. I I I actually do think that probably what has what has probably been lost in in aspects of early years, you know, mm. with our parents and things, is more the the actual being able to go and experience yeah. it. Um, yeah. However, I think that what families have done is they've probably experienced it in maybe a different way. Mm. So I think those things are still happening. I just wonder whether we're probably not prescribing to a set, you know, named activity yeah. that we probably understand. Um, I, I would agree that, you know, some children's experiences of learning have been lost in the fact that, you know, we, we shouldn't assume that that all parents have those those things around the home, you know. But actually, on, on, on most of the... Uh, experience that children have got outdoor learning is probably one of the biggest things that they could do mm. um and picking up you know the, the 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 things from outside and and exploring obviously you wouldn't do that with babies but you could do it with older children so I I, I don't really want to prescribe to the lost learning because I just think learning has changed maybe yeah um that's a great way of and, looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I and I and I think that maybe it's changed in the fact that parents and caregivers became co-teachers in mm. the time of the pandemic. Yeah, such a such a juggle of jobs hasn't there been for yeah. families. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we're gonna talk quite a lot about identity. Yeah. And um starting off with why you think identity is important to us in the classroom, within family settings, within all of those aspects we've just been talking about? How does identity play a role there for us? I think, I think first of all, there's, there's probably two aspects if you're a practitioner or a teacher or an educator. Mm. Identity for you really is about you being comfortable to actually see yourself as, you know, who you are, your, 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 your values, you know, your beliefs, um, as adults, really, we, we we are able to kind of identify and, and be comfortable to a certain point of who we are and what we're about. I think with children, their identity is constantly developing. Mm. Um, and, and just like adults, identity constantly changes and develops. But I think what, why it's important, um, I mean, if we, if we use, for example, LGBTQ plus as an mm. example, um, you know, we as educators really should be making sure that we are, uh, you know, equal, you know, there's an element of equality, diversity and inclusion. And as, as educators, really, we just want to make sure that each child, each young person is given that opportunity to value themselves. Um, we all know that, you know, what comes with your identity is that uniqueness Yes. Um, that that, yeah. that really we talk about quite a lot as as educators, um, and teachers. You know, they, they talk very much that it's about that uniqueness, that unique child. Um, but actually, what's really important from that uniqueness is we value that uniqueness. We don't try and um, see it as different. You mm. know, mm. Um, so I think really that that kind of identity. It's 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 what that child brings. It's what that child you know brings to the classroom I think as educators we need to see children as individuals as a different identity that girls aren't all girls they're not the same you know the yeah. boys aren't all boys and they're not the same you know they have different ways of working some children have uh you know different abilities to things some children can do things faster some children want to do it much slower 
you know, some children have that get up and go. Some children are just very laid back. Mm. Um, you know, and then the family, what the family brings to that child as well, that history that that child brings, um, that culture. There's a, yeah. the, you know, I, I talk about family culture and, I, and I'm not talking about, you know, every child comes from a different family culture, you know. So I, I've got a friend who who never has Sunday roast, whereas we used to have a Sunday roast all the time. So when I used to go around his for Sunday dinner, yeah. I used to think it was going to be a roast dinner, but it wasn't. It was something completely different. <laughs> and, and that's what I mean by family culture. It's valuing their identity and what those children and ourselves as educators bring to our setting and our classroom. And that realisation as a kid, I remember that. I remember that as a child, realising that other people don't do things the way we do in our family, you know. And that's okay. And exactly, yeah. And that's quite fun. And, and enjoying yeah, well, and, I, I'm not going to lie. I did miss my Sunday roast. When I used to, <laughs> sometimes I used to say, oh, no, I'll be right later. As if to say, <laughs> yeah, after I, I've I, had I my roast. roast dinner, yeah. But, <laughs> but the pair, you know, his parents did used to say, we have this food because it was different. You know, it just wasn't, yeah. you know, their culture was different foods. And, and actually, as educators, it, it, it's important that we learn about where our children are coming from. Absolutely. Because it adds that value and supports that child's identity. Yeah. So how how can we do that then? How can we show, you know, our own sort of family culture, our own identity, and, and then enhance that of our students? How can we do that? Yeah, it's a really difficult one, but I think it's really about that sense of belonging within your mm. within your classroom. I think as 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 teachers, as educators, we sometimes struggle with that power dynamic mm. of, well, I'm teacher, so I there's certain things that I don't want to share with my, you know, and actually I think we need to move away from that power kind of dynamic. Mm. Children learn from us as adults, as, as one of their main caregivers, really, as one of their educators. And I think that when we kind of move away from that power struggle, we start actually seeing that actually these children, it's not just the textbook and the the curriculum that teaches them. It's me. It's yeah. my experiences. Yeah. It's my, you know, the value that I bring to education. And I think what happens then is children can see that you're very comfortable with your identity, that you're using different language, you're bringing in different opportunities, different experiences for those children. They pick up on that. And you know, it, it. You know, there was a conversation I was having last week with some teachers about being called Mister and Missus, mm. and and I said, well, you know, how do you get away from that kind of gender ideology of male and female? You know, Mister, Missus, mm. and I said, but why can't they call you by your name? You were given a name. Value your name. You know, value the name that you were given because actually your name means something. Yeah. You know, it's not gonna. It's not gonna show any less respect. Um, it actually probably will show more because your name, how it's pronounced, what does it mean, you know, has a lot more value than being called Miss or or, or, or Mister, you know, or Sir. Yeah. Well, it's a fascinating conversation that because, you know, within my career, certainly there's there are always teachers who are actually the cool teachers often who say, <laughs> you know, just call me Phil. <laughs> yeah. But often we, yeah. would, we would leave that until key stage five you know once we've hit right. a level they'd say yeah you can call me phil now yeah and and low and lower down and and certainly in primary you know key stage two i guess in the main we're very we're very comfortable with our mr or mrs maybe it's that yeah. that facade yeah. that barrier between 
yeah. my professional and my social being. I just I just think it's really interesting because in the early years, for example, and in a lot of SEND schools, yeah. teachers are called yeah. by their first name. Yeah, that's so, really so true. So actually teachers are teachers are being called, you know, Aaron, Helen, mm. you know, mm. that, that, that it does happen. I and think a few other really names, useful, I think, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and a few other names, yeah. Um, but I think what's really, <laughs> what's really interesting is actually – your name means something and for me it just brings that value it, it, yeah. it supports your identity yeah. as as who you are you know I'm I'm Aaron you know yes when I'm standing in front of a classroom I'm still Aaron you know mm. so I think there's a, there's a whole discussion there but I really think really interesting you know I'm not saying that you add you know it's what you're comfortable yeah, in doing exactly but, you know your own but, identity but I, will yeah, guide yeah. that so looking at the lens of equality diversity and inclusion how can we move forwards with that within education? Because it's such an important aspect of everything we do, you know, to view everything through that lens is so yeah. vital. I think, I think what's really, really important is that anything that gets us to stop, think and reflect mm. on our own practices is surely a good thing. I mean, what I won't prescribe to is telling people what they have to and should and shouldn't do no I think that as educators we we learn from um doing you know I I I can't sit here and say that I've not made mistakes in my career you know I think as educators we learn and continue to continue to reflect on Mm. that when I first qualified um back in 2007 um you know, did was was anti racism and LGBTQ representation and and SEND representation at the top of my agenda? It was there, but was I talking about it? Was I reflecting on it? The answer would be no. You know, as mm. a twenty one year old male thinking I knew everything and going into the classroom and just you know <laughs> teaching what the curriculum told me to teach. I think over time, over experience, mm. what what that continual discussion around equality, diversity and inclusion has done is it's strengthened that, mm. it's strengthened reflection. It's allowed me to actually represent the students, the children that are sat in front of me. I'm not saying that, you know, maybe I was, you know, racist or homophobic or anything, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, was I confident enough that's to be it, able to actually challenge myself? Yeah. To think how 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 am I actually challenging that anti-oppressive practice? Yeah. And all I will say is is that you know last year you know with Black Lives Matter it really really started to get us thinking about um, anti-racism, our practices. Um, you know, and it for me it's not about a tokenistic. Let's change the curriculum. Let's look at authors. Let's mm. do this. It's great that we can start doing that but actually what's the impact of that Mm. how is it going to make a difference to the students that are sat in front of us that we teach day in day out because are we looking at our own beliefs are we looking at our own positionality our own biases and how does that play out then within our teaching yeah Um, you know that's what's important yeah because it's really bespoke isn't it because it's really about as you just said those those children in front of you right now and what they need. And that might not be what we need in 12, 24 months time, but that's what we need now. It's bespoke. 
I think it goes back to what that uniqueness of that child is. Mm. What's that uniqueness? Obviously, we would always advocate that it's important that we teach the community, the society that we're in. Yeah. Actually, what's the lived experiences of those children that are coming into our classrooms? What's their stories? Mm. Um, let's listen to them. Let's actually, you know, children actually and young young people, you know, you, you, you're in secondary education, Helen, and you've done, you know, they will listen to each other. Sometimes it's more powerful when they tell their story. Mm. And as educators, we can facilitate that and kind of unpick that and, yeah. and support that. So important. Obviously, we always want to advocate for equity, for inclusion and value diversity. And it's mm. about valuing that identity once again, yeah. that, that, that position that that child brings to our classroom. Yeah, absolutely. And facilitating that confidence because it is quite a confidence thing. And for young people, especially who want to fit in, and yeah. maybe don't want to stand out and be someone that people point at or talk about or, you know, there is that that innate need for many of our young people to want to fit in and be like the others. Yeah, so facilitating yeah, yeah. confidence to be yeah. who you are. I think there was a there was a study, there was a study that came out last week that I tweeted about that mm. was um on LGBTQ uh, you know, in education and, and yeah. basically the stark uh, I think it was something like 63% of young people have thought about suicide, you know, from the LGBT community. And actually when we as educators, like what you've just said, talk about it, you know, value it and and, and teach it, um, it drops it down considerably to, mm. to because they want to fit in, you know. And is it about fitting into the norm or is it actually about fitting into actually valuing each other's identity? Yeah. And that's, that's what that's yeah. important. Picking up on your point about stories, um, there's this lovely quote from Zandra Bay in uh, the latest WorkOut report from OUP. And she says, for children to access language, sometimes they have to see themselves in it. They have to see themselves in those who speak the language, write the words, tell the stories, because words devoid of context are very difficult to claim. And that's one of the standout quotes from that report for me, actually, because I just think it's so important that we're giving you know, that real diverse story yeah. in what we're teaching, you know, yeah, of course. whatever yeah. texts we're choosing, choose them so carefully yeah. because those young people in front of us need to see something of themselves in those stories. Absolutely agree. And um, for me, I've, you know, I have this conversation with another colleague of mine called Liz Pembleton, who's the Black mm. Nursery Manager, yeah. who really is supporting that anti-racist pedagogy really you know mm. within early years and you know she's always advocating that you know when children need to see themselves children need to actually visualize we need to, we as educators should be you know really kind of supporting that you know yeah, if absolutely. we haven't got books where there's no lgbtq families or children or young people or you know actually yeah. the black children and children of color you know yeah aren't in our books then it go, you know that representation really does matter really vital yeah absolutely yeah. so if you've got three points that would get the conversation going around edi quality diversity yeah. inclusion so my three points first of all is actually go and read so that's mm. my first one go and read about the subjects that you're interested in what you'll find when you start reading is there's a lot of crossover so anti-oppression, anti, you know, oppression is oppression. Mm. And um, there's a lot of links between homophobia, racism, mm. you know, and how you tackle that. So go and read, go and read up, you, you know, go and actually 
uh, enjoy the reading that's out there. Yeah. There's lots out there. I know that alongside these podcasts, we're putting um, some little pointers together. So maybe you could help us with a few pointers of where yeah, to go, great. what to read. Yeah, definitely. Thank I think, you, um, you know, for if, if, if any of our earliers um um colleagues or even primary and secondary colleagues mm. there's two there's two um, websites i would definitely go to uh, one is called the ey blacklist mm. and the other one is um the lgbtq earliers it's really just starting that kind of a you know anti-oppressive kind of you know that positive yeah. um you know outlook that we can have within education and the second one is for you to really start thinking about your position what do you bring to the table what I always say to teachers to educators and professionals is do a list of all the things that you that you're comfortable with with regards to equality diversity and inclusion Mm. then do a list of all the things that you may feel a bit uncomfortable with or you don't know enough about and actually start unpicking that and start talking about your position on that um you know what how does it make you feel um you know what can you do to be able to do that and the third one first and foremost for me Mm. is learn about child development learn about where do children come from how are their brains actually developed because I can tell you now none of us were born racist Mm. none of us were born homophobic you know Mm. we, we really do need to start thinking about that and as educators, we need to learn where children come from. Yeah. It's the experiences, it's that nature-nurture debate, it's the environment that we that we grow up in. So for me, as educators, child development is key and so important for us to understand where children come from and then where those biases actually start taking form. Yeah. And peeling back those layers, fascinating. I always think yeah. that when you watch what's it called police camera action or some of those some of those crime kind of you know fly on the wall documentaries and you see these people getting themselves in all sorts of tangled webs of problems and you think I you know just turn the dial back you know what what's the story behind where this guy finds himself right now why how has he got there exactly yeah those layers of it all starts with with that that first formal years of a child's life, yeah. the experiences, the trauma that mm-hmm. children have growing up, mm-hmm. um, and those experiences are so vital for us to be able to tackle the inequalities and and the injustice, you know, with, within our society. Yeah, so crucial. Looking more towards secondary, I know that you quite keen to talk about that a little bit as well with in terms of the voice how do we give those learners a voice in secondary education it's something I'm really passionate about is equipping our young people with a real powerful voice which they can go on and be confident eloquent communicators but what does it mean to have a voice in terms of EDI yeah I think what what we what we tend to do is again child development is so important because it actually teaches us about what children are able to do at certain ages of, mm. uh, you know, of mm. their development. So I think it's really important that, you know, as an early years teacher or practitioner, mm. I think what's really important is I've learned about development from naught to 16, really. And I think that actually secondary age pupils, um, we don't tend to give them enough credibility when it comes to how are we gaining their voice Mm. We we have so much training in earlier about gaining the voice of the child, 
primary are getting there, you know, how, how we incorporate the voice of the child. But I still think there's this power dynamic within edu- within secondary education. Are we actually looking at our children, our young people as co-educators? And how are we making sure that those voices are heard? Mm. What's really important is from the age of 11, our brain changes. We're starting to think, we're starting to question, we're starting to say, hang on a minute, and actually our identity is starting to change. Mm. And what comes with that is that self-confidence, that that self-esteem that we want all of our children to gain. And I think with, with secondary age pupils, you know, sometimes the things that we probably criticise our young people for, actually sometimes we probably just need to listen mm. to, to, to what they're saying. I also think that it's about developing their voice and and equipping them to be able, you know, we want them to grow up into adults to be, to challenge, to to critique things and not just take things on Facebook Absolutely. and social yeah. media value. Yeah. You know, this is the scariest thing. You <laughs> so know, not, on TikTok, you know, it's definitely yeah, true. It's got to be true if it's on <laughs> socials. But actually what's really, really important is, is, Let's listen to that because mm. like me and you, we've just automatically taken the, you know, the the proverbial out of it because obviously everything must be right if it's on TikTok. But <laughs> actually, let's let's understand what TikTok is doing. Let's understand, you know, and is that their voice? Is is the voice of the young person changing? Are they doing it through different mediums mm. um, rather than actual just spoken language? Or, you know, it, 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 I think we just need to really think about our young people and and, and advocate for them in yeah. different ways. So important. There's um the former US poet laureate guy called Billy Collins. He was speaking a year or two ago at the White House uh, in a poetry workshop and somebody asked him about how to find your voice when you're a poet. And he, he said, and this is so lovely, he said, you need to look inside yourself, of course, for material. But to find a way to express that, you have to look outside yourself, read widely, all the poetry you can get your hands on. Be a magpie, art, song, poetry, yes. theatre, film, rap, story. And, and it's so true, isn't it? Because our yes, voice is, is made of the layers of what we experience. But isn't it sad to see that within secondary education and primary education, mm. those mediums are being taken away slowly oh. that actually, you know, I mean, we could talk about this all day. I mean, it's even, it's even slowly happening within the early years as well. You know, I mean, luckily we've got, we've got a a bit of a bit of freedom to be able Mm. to obviously but within their national curriculum those kind of exciting those that 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 kind of vibrancy that 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 those subjects bring are slowly diminishing they're not going but that the the value that they bring us are are diminishing and I've got no clue why because actually all the things we cling to that make us smile are found in those experiences aren't they you know we're ruthlessly squandering our drama departments in secondary you know yeah. they're, they're disappearing and um and they're being taught maybe by English departments but not if you've got Miss Jones because she yeah. don't like teaching it and <laughs> and it's just you know that equality of provision for for art yeah. and drama and music and you know but drama drama allows you to question it allows you to actually be in the moment it 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 it, it allows you to critique and and yeah. value yeah. you know that your space and who you are and and it's and a gain safe space to do of, that yeah it is because it you is, are yeah. acting you are have it you've got another right. layer of, of 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 potential that you can explore all sorts of narratives through 
Yeah, which is which is sad actually, because when I look back at my childhood, when I was at secondary mm. secondary school, which feels like an absolute ancient time ago now, <laughs> um, I didn't choose uh, I didn't choose drama for the simple reason that I wasn't a confident person. Yeah, and and actually looking back, my identity was being diminished at the time, you know, because of Section Twenty Eight, and also because I went to a faith school. Um, that that actually my my identity as a young person was to not enjoy my education for who who I was at that time. Yeah. Um. You know, and and be allowed to question and and critique and have fun within education. You know, it it was very much a very dark time of of of, of growing up, and 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 unfortunately, young people still face that and and. You know, we, we think we have moved on and we have to value that we have moved on. You know, there are lots of teachers and educators out there that that do genuinely care mm. and value the children that are in their classroom. But there's still a long, long way to go. Yeah. And, you know, listening to podcasts like this is a good a good step in the right direction. Isn't yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked a bit about vibrancy there, but I think that's a really real great key word to take away. You know, getting that vibrancy into what you're doing to create that passion so that you can be expressive you can show your identity yeah I think I think for me it's just it's about that vibrancy it brings that kind of all the wonder the you mm. know and, and and that's something that we that we're very good at in the early years oh, you know we, yes. can, we can really kind of make things vibrant and exciting and children want to engage yeah you know and, and and I know that teachers do that across primary and secondary and FE and in HE because they have me. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, 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 the one thing that is really funny, um, and I've got to tell this story really quickly, so sorry if I haven't got time, but I'm going to say it anyway. No, we've is, definitely I, got I've time. Took a lot of, I've took a lot of props with me from um, when I was obviously in early years. Mm. And one of them is a horn that, that you squeeze and it goes, ha, ha, ha. Like you know, okay, um, yeah. because I used to squeeze this horn when it was when it was tidy up time. So I used to go, and it <laughs> not sounds when you like said a clown a good joke. horn. <laughs> no, no, but it was it was a clown horn. So I've took it everywhere with me, and you and the children used to laugh so much when I used to because it's just a funny sound. <laughs> and I, I took it to primary and but you know, and I took it to children's centres and, and and when I was in FE. And, you know, the FE students and the HE students absolutely love it. My, my other lecturers think that I'm actually off my trolley taking this <laughs> horn around with me. But I said to them, but you should see the faces, you know. These are like 18 to 21-year-olds. I yeah. squeeze the horn because now what I do is instead of saying, oh, this is an important point that you really need to write down, yeah. I just honk my horn. It's a bit <laughs> like off-road conditioning, you know. That's brilliant. Um, but they love it and, and and it just brings so much joy and fun to yeah. you know something just so simple like yeah. that is just yeah so yeah uh, that, that's what I currently do I yeah. think that's great and maybe that just gives it an extra little bit of security and safety that you know we are actually human here yeah we're we're dealing with really vital important matters and we're working on a very professional level yeah. But I'm also a human being. Exactly. Gonna, yeah. Let's have a bit of fun with yeah, learning, you know. Let's bring a bit of excitement. I think we're absolutely on the same page, Aaron. Definitely. <laughs> I'm glad to so hear that. <laughs> let's, let's finish up with a few little sort of well-being, thinking about, uh, you know, our, our very, very hardworking profession who are probably all on their knees by about oh, now. Yeah. We've still got another three or four weeks to go. Um, 
What do you do? What do you do to wind down? I think first and foremost, it's important that you have to get to a point where you value your evenings and your weekends. Mm. And um, that that is time for when that's your time, you know, that that's that for me, I call that Aaron time or family time. Yeah. There are two things that I really enjoy to do, which which I like to cook and bake. Yeah. So I do bake wedding cakes and cupcakes and things. And my family absolutely love my baking. But I also love to cook as well. Um, and I cook different different cuisine and I like learning about different tastes and but yeah, the wedding cakes are are um I mean that's that, amazing. That's A wedding cake is side. Yeah. That's that's incredible. That's full on. Yeah. So if I scroll a bit further down your Twitter feed, am I going to see a wedding cake or two? <laughs> to be honest with you, I haven't done them in a while, but um, there is somebody who has asked me to do one. So that will be on Twitter very, very soon. Wow. Um, the only problem is about baking. And if anyone bakes, um, which there are lots on Twitter that bake, they like to tag me in. Um you just eat all the leftovers. <laughs> so you just end up with all the scraps of the leftovers, which is just amazing. Um, and the other thing that I really enjoy to do, enjoy doing, which is great for your mental health and well-being, mm. is exercise. Now, I probably don't look like I exercise, but but I do. Um, I've got I've got a spin bike that yeah. I just love to, you know, I've got my Sonos speakers either side of me and I literally just blast my music. Yeah. And for 45 minutes, I'm just in that zone yeah. where, you know, the day that, you know, you might have had a bad day, then, then let it go. Sweat it out. Yeah, just let it go. Yeah. So those are probably my escapisms, really. Well, the two are quite usefully connected because once you've yeah. done your spinning, you can go and... You go and eat the cake. Or yeah. some, some uh, cupcakes. <laughs> Fantastic. Definitely. Definitely. Well, do you know, Aaron, it's been an absolute joy to talk to you and I hope we stay in touch because I think you've got such a fascinating career. Oh, thank you. Thanks thank for joining you. us. Thank you, Helen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Word Up podcast from Oxford Education. To find out more about the Oxford Smart Curriculum, read the curriculum direction paper and have your say, please visit www.oxfordsecondary.com forward slash smart.